Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and after a long break, I am back with episode 272. I think this is the, the longest break in the life of the podcast. Uh, obviously, uh, COVID is the reason for that break. I didn't want to be trying to force a podcast out each week when we were in lockdown and, and now with various restrictions around the country. And uh, so it's with one eye on the news and one ear on the news uh, that I have decided to um, you know, put some episodes out again and see where we go with this. Um, I'm going to probably be recording some remote um, conversations, which I haven't done before, um, but also where able, I'm hoping to get to talk to people in person. This one is a conversation uh, I had face-to-face with Wellington writer, producer, and I guess primarily actor, Jean Sargent. She's currently in a show called Live Through This at Circa. Uh, it's a brilliant show. You should go and see it. Um, and and she's part of a, an acting family. Her dad is Brian Sargent, who... Um, Many people will know from many of the things he's done, including not least of all Outrageous Fortune and way before that, the TV show Skits. So I had to have a bit of a conversation with her about that and about what it was like growing up in a creative family. And so we talked about all things creative. We had a few little sideline chats about uh, the music of Bob Dylan and Nick Cave and classic Wellington concerts. We talked about making a living in the arts, mental health, the challenges, the preparation, the the slog of it all, and obviously in and around that, the looming presence of COVID when you're trying to put shows on. So all of that is in there. And then a conversation around the, the, the grief, um, the trauma, the life lessons that have informed this latest work uh, of Jane's, which is... Uh, something that you really should see while it's on. Um, she's also a book reviewer and uh, a really good book reviewer for the spin-off. And so yeah, we, we, we talked about as many things as we could and I certainly feel like I know her somewhat now. I love this conversation. I love the chance to try and be back, um, as it were, podcasting. So I hope you enjoy this too. Uh, this is a return episode uh, for the podcast, 272, I think. And it is me talking with Wellington actor, writer, producer, Jean Sargent. I've been thinking about this um, for the last couple of days. You are a person, I feel like I know you better than I do. Like, yeah. Have we really ever spent any time at all talking in real life no. beyond an introduction? No. That's what I thought. Yeah. And then I thought, I think, and it's... But I, I sort of feel like you're my mate as well, Yeah, Simon. yeah. And when I see you on the street, I'm like, should I wave to someone? Well, I think it's, yeah, yeah. And I think it's, we've shared some emails. Yeah. We know some people. We've been involved in mm. some similar things. That's really all it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, is that There's a, and I mean, I know, you know, and, and I've obviously, I've seen you perform. Like, I've seen yeah. you be in things. and But we've got a few mutual friends. Mm. And we could probably sit down and work out that we've got even more mutual oh, contacts I'm and sure, friends than we. Yeah. So I was, I'm, I'm interested to have a chat to you. I'm glad you were interested in this because you're on my list of people to talk to. Awesome. And I always wanted to kind of time it with, um, you know something that you had on so yeah. you've currently got this show which is an old show uh, it's not that old actually it's uh, it's less than two years old oh, okay yeah yeah I, think but it's I just mean just it's the... happened before yes like, yeah, 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 yeah yeah so it's, it's a it's it's continuing in its evolution I wouldn't call it a revival because it's not that old yeah but yeah it's definitely continuing in <laughs> yeah, its evolution yeah yeah mm. yeah, yeah so um well, you know we'll talk about that and, and and other shows but let's go back to like um how things start for you. Are you a Wellingtonian? I am. I'm from Wellington. I was born in Newtown, grew up in Newtown. Um, I actually spent a little bit of time in Aro Valley when I was a little girl. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm from Wellington, always lived in Wellington, S- travelled a lot overseas, especially with theatre, 
worked in theatre in Mexico and South Korea and the UK and Australia, but it's never really occurred to me to leave Wellington. Mm. I mean, I certainly felt very tied to Wellington um, in terms of like family commitments and whatnot. Um, I feel less that way now, mm, mm. and yet I feel more embedded in Wellington now than I ever have. Uh, and I feel quite safe here in terms of like whatever it is that I want to do in my in the future in my life, I can do it here as much as anywhere else. And I just I really love Wellington. And you know what what do you tell people you do like what, what <laughs> you know? Because I, I I get yeah. your um, diverse and multidisciplinary. Yeah. I mean, but what what are you like? Are you a writer first and foremost? Are you a performer first and foremost? Are you both? Are you I a- think I'm probably a an an actor first. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy writing considerably more now than I mm. enjoy acting mm. um, I really enjoy performing I love doing my show it's yeah. really That's invigorating really obvious yeah but I uh, I'm I'm not a great writer of fiction in fact I'm a terrible writer of fiction mm. and so uh, but I think I'm a good writer of reviews or of journalism yeah yeah i was gonna say um, that i really enjoy i think you write really because you've done a few for the spin-off book yeah reviews yeah and, stuff, and obviously some essay pieces and things mm. like that but i really enjoy your book reviews oh thank you so yeah, much yeah, yeah, the yeah. writers do as well meg yeah. mason who wrote um the sorrow and the bliss got mm. in touch with oh, me cool. and was like your review is so beautiful thank you yeah. so much um hallie rubinold who wrote the five mm. my, the a book about the five victims of jack the ripper like got in touch on Twitter and was like, Oh my God, you really got it. And then Jacqueline Bublitz, whose book, um, before you knew my name is the latest one that I've reviewed. Mm. She is mates with, uh, Heather Carroll. Yeah. yeah, And Heather was like Rocky, which is what Jacqueline's friends call her, like started crying at the hairdressers reading your review. And I was like, this is all I want from, from creation is connection. Yeah. That's right. Like, friendship and respect and love and I, I don't mean I write and create so that I get those things yeah, I yeah. want them look reciprocally it's, look it's all yeah. I've ever had as a reviewer yeah <laughs> um, that's all that's you know <laughs> it's all that's ever happened yeah um no you're right though it's, it's, it's it is great isn't it and yeah. when that and I have had some versions of that happen yeah definitely I've had and it's so lovely because say you know just the idea that you're on the I guess the you know the cliches all apply that you're on the same page as someone yeah that, that totally you, you got the work and that's the you know what people are looking for yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah and I think there's a lot around I mean I, I love being an actor and I love being in the performing arts but the culture of it I find increasingly difficult to mm. uh, deal with um, because it's really unhealthy. And a lot of that in New Zealand is because we're so underfunded yes. that it's not really about like, oh, is there funding to make great work? It's much more fundamentally, is there funding to sustain great artists to have a healthy career and a healthy life Mm. like you know if you're ever doing a funding application the bottom line of having to kind of match you know zero dollars zero dollars of like if we give you this funding you have to tell us that we haven't given you a cent more than you need and it's like well there's also just 
people who need to pay rent, who need to pay doctor's bills, who need to pay yeah, for childcare, who are involved in this. And you're essentially asking me to ask people to do really difficult work for well, nothing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've talked to, I mean, I've put in a couple of funding applications, but also I've talked to enough people that have yeah. that everyone kind of like, you get to those lines about, you know, the idea of including anything in the budget for an actual income yeah. and people know it's kind of game over if you do that pretty yeah. much too right totally like, that, yeah. that seems to be the feeling that yeah. like you know that money needs to be accounted for but not on something as gratuitous as paying a person yeah. <laughs> yeah. quite a bit less than a living wage as a token gesture towards the hours they're going to put into this absolutely yeah. and yeah. yet you know creative new zealand uh in their funding criteria you have to say that you are going to pay artists a mm. full-time minimum of a thousand dollars a week mm. and yet if you don't get that funding you're not going to be paying your artists anywhere near a thousand dollars a week yeah. you know i made the slut cracker at the end of last year did you see that i didn't see gay ballet no, yeah, yeah. um i made the slut cracker it, it was it's stunning it's gorgeous it's a 40-minute mm. ballet about a date between a gorgeous young slut and a G.I. Joe who comes to life mm. on Christmas Eve through Wellington. It's just joyous, a really, really fun show. And I would have loved to pay the dactors, the dancing actors, mm. Mm. and the um, designers and the choreographer what they were worth. But I yeah. just couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't. Yeah. And then, you know, we made a, a reasonable amount of box office from it because we basically sold out almost the entire season. Um, but even that didn't really cover yeah. what they, what we, not they, because myself is included in this, yeah, is, yeah. you know. That was one of those shows, and there's been a couple where we've had a, a very brief email exchange where you've gone, you know, come to this, and I've gone, sorry, I'm out of town. Yeah, yeah. It, like, not as a fob off. Yeah, like, yeah, as, yeah. And you've gone, oh, stink, maybe next time. And yeah. we've had a couple of those, which, yeah. is, which is why I haven't podcasted you soon as well. Yeah. You know, as I say, it's about lining up the, the thing that's happening. Not that it has to be, because yeah. I'll talk to people that are between shows or aren't doing things, but it's always nice, I think, if, yeah. you know, if a, a, a generous plug um, can be, uh, you know, tied, yeah. in, tied in with it. So yeah. I, mean, I, I really appreciate that as the, well. The other yeah. thing I know about you, which I'm sure a lot of people do, is, you know, there is... There's legacy attached. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You, you, you know, you come from an acting family, right? I do, yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, my dad was a professional actor for a long time, film, television, and theatre. My brother Brian. is... Yeah, Brian's my dad. My yep. brother, Jack, Sergeant Shadbolt, mm. is an actor as well. He's been in lots of films. Uh, he was in This Town. Yeah. Um, that's his most recent film, and he's a terrific stage actor. He as was well. in that amazing play with Johnny and Drew, The who, Aliens. The yeah. Aliens, yeah. Um, by what's her name, Annie Baker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, he's breathtaking. Yeah, and they and that was another one of those shows where it's like all three people in this are amazing. Yeah, all yeah. three characters have been written amazingly. Yeah, and the three actors have been cast perfectly and are doing yeah. the right work for the right thing. You know, you couldn't single any one of them out. Well, so you can imagine how I felt watching it, because, I mm. mean, there's my 
literal brother on yes. stage, my soul brother, Johnny Potts, yeah, yeah. and Drew, who I wasn't very close to at the time, we just met and we're starting to work together, mm. who is one of my brothers now, you know, mm, so mm. like, that was such a treat, that show, that was just yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I'm, I've read a few Annie Baker scripts, because mm. um, just... Uh, I heard her interviewed on a podcast and got interested in what she does, and uh, she's quite amazing, yeah. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Uh, but my mother also was an actor. Mm. My mother went to drama school uh, in the early 80s, um, and she basically gave up uh, the performing arts to be a single mother because mm. my parents separated when I was three, mm. and my dad remained in the performing arts, mm. and my mother got a grown-ups job I guess um but her partner for most of my childhood wonderful man called Duncan Smith who works at Radio New Zealand he was a director and an mm. actor mm. um he worked on Shortland Street um as a director and we grew up in an environment where like Peter Hamilton and Danny Mulheron they are also my dads right yeah, um yeah. Sophie Hamilton who is a wonderful actor mm. and Peter's um daughter and her mum, Aileen Davidson, like they are, and Aileen, a great actor as yeah, well, right. and a cl- person with a clowning background who's taught clown to lots of people. So yeah, grew up very much in an arts world. Yes, what you're saying yeah. is there was really no choice. There was no yeah, other, no, yeah. No, well, no, there was plenty of choice, but there was no other option. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a certain inevitability yes. of it. And I don't feel any kind of... Um, crossness about that you know I think some people who grow up in a in an environment where a particular profession is at the forefront might feel kind of a begrudging uh, resentment (laughs) but Mm. I don't feel that because actually it wasn't an easy childhood it's not easy growing up with when all of the people who are providing for you haven't got any money (laughs) or any stability feast or famine yeah totally but I certainly didn't grow up thinking that the performing arts was glamorous I grew up thinking that it was graft and that it was something that you did because Mm. it ignited something in you Mm. and that's kind of why I why it became very inevitable that when I was about 20 I was like yeah I might actually give this a go I might actually try and try and do this and I'm 37 now and I I do not know I'm sure that there are a couple of people who have a, a a higher record than me but I've done around 40 maybe 45 professional theater productions in my 17 year career that's insane that's Mm. a lot of work Mm. a lot of work Mm. this is part of why i feel like i know you yeah (laughs) and because you you know you're how do i put it you'll do shows that you have written you'll do Mm. shows that where you're a main cast member, you're, and, and and this is common, but you yeah. do shows where you're, I guess, a, more of a bit part, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and I, you know, I've talked to quite a few actors for the podcast where it's like, this is the reality, you, you know, yeah. no, no one's a, not many people are a lead star performer every time. Absolutely. You just turn yeah. up and do the work and, yeah. you know, and you get what you're given in a way and also what you're right for. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Or people that really enjoy working with you, and I think yeah. I'm quite enjoyable to work with, will go, oh, actually, there's a thing I would quite like to do with Jean. This seems a, this seems a good one 
for Jean. Mm. Also, like, there have been times in my career where I've just bailed people up and said, hey, can I play this role? And they'll go, huh? And I'm like, can I pitch you about it? It's fine. You can say no. I don't mind. But can I, like, just take a take mm. a run at it? Mm. You know, like, I played Villumnia and Coriolanus a few years ago, a role that I am way too young to play, but it was with the Bacchanals, so we mm. just do whatever, right? Mm. Mm. And I was like, I want to play Villumnia. She's a, she's a lead female who is not a romantic lead she is a politician and she's a real hard nuts bitch and i think she's very interesting because she's clearly sexually obsessed with her son that's really interesting (laughs) (laughs) and she's got this real banging speech that she makes um you know and that was some that was a situation where i just asked david lawrence hey can i play volumnia and i sort of at that point i'd done so much work with david i was like I don't want to say you a little bit owe me this, but you <laughs> no, I do of, want to heavily imply it. <laughs> I want to heavily imply that you a little bit owe me this yeah, role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was a bit maybe caught off guard, but we love each other very much, mm. so it was okay. Mm. Yeah. So you sort of mentioned really being raised by your mum or living yeah. with her. Yeah. And what was the relationship like, you know, for you with your dad and or managing, brokering that? Yeah. Because I'm I'm asking because, you know, my parents are still together, so Mm. I don't know what this is like. What was it like for you and when were you aware of it? You know, so you're saying your your dad was gone when you were about three. Yeah, well, my dad, and I don't think he'll mind me saying this if he does listen to this because he's, you know, he's on the record about it. My dad has bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and um, he wasn't diagnosed until I was a young child. And my parents had me when they were 24, right? So, which is pretty young, Mm. really. Um, So it was a pretty classic divorce family upbringing, really, in that lived Monday to Friday with mum and had weekends. My brother Jack and I would go to dad's on the weekends. But there's another part of that, which is that my dad was a almost full-time theatre actor mm. and so would be in shows at Circa where he was working Friday nights, Saturday nights and Sunday matinees really often throughout my childhood. Mm-hmm. So there were like periods of time where we would maybe kind of see him on a Monday for dinner or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And also that feeling that you're being raised by the theatre too, like for sure, around yeah. it, like not just a practitioner, but you're in there. Like yeah. You're, you're oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you spend a lot of time in dressing rooms, a lot yeah. of time in green rooms, mm. you know, because, I mean, sometimes Dad would be doing a show at Circa and Jack and I would just get parked in front of the TV in the green room at Circa. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, I'm, I mean, I know, I, I've never met him, but I know his work well, Yeah, as, yeah. as a lot of people do, because, yeah. I mean, apart from anything else, obviously, you know, later on in his career, he pops up on Outrageous Fortune, which is totally. a big touchstone for so many people. And he plays the Prime Minister in... Yeah. Um, Flight of the Concords. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, yeah. Th- those are key big things that everyone, you know. So he has that recognisable face for people yeah. that don't know the name or whatever that haven't. But yes, yeah. I mean he was in comedy shows, skit shows on yeah. TV and movies and oh, theatre. The, the catchphrases of the nineties mm. that I got. So there's no go away, which mm. is the um, serial ad that he was in, mm. and then there's now that's classy from that's skits. Right, from skits. And I was like ten years old when skits came out, and everybody was yeah. watching it. Yeah. And so at school, at primary school, and then at intermediate school, now that's classy yeah, was like yeah. the catchphrase. And so were you? <laughs> was that cool for you, or was yeah, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I yeah. think one of the things 
Because I remember that very well. Yeah, I, yeah. I loved the show Skits. I think one... Oh, it was great. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things about growing up in this kind of... In that sort of situation and actually not having your famous parent be your most active yes. parent is that you don't really see their flaws. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and so you're like, ah, oh, he's your, cool. And your image of them is constantly being... Um, reinforced by other people's image of them. You totally. Know, in that, in the, you know, as you say, the catchphrase yeah. at school and everyone yeah. knows it. Totally. And you're connected to the person, so it's yeah. cool by association. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the reality is that he and I have never worked together. Hmm. Like, a very small amount when I was a child. I did a short film with him when I was seven. My brother was in that as well. I, you know, worked as an extra on skits. Sometimes they needed kids, and mm. so I'd be in that. Um... But we've never worked together, and honestly, I wouldn't want to. Mm. You know, he's not very well now, so he's mm. not working. Mm. But I think that he's a he's a really intense person. He's a very very talented actor, mm. really mm. talented actor. Yeah, he's one of those people. My understanding is he's one of those people that, for a lot of us, we got to know him as a comic foil. Yeah, but he's always had this whole background as a serious actor. And, yeah. and you know, I know that, but yeah. some people didn't know that for a long time yeah absolutely and that happens where it's like the money gig at the time mm. you know the chance to be on tv whatever the yeah it's creative as well but oh yeah totally. you know but that that's like the glamour mm. gig yeah and the grunt work has been you know doing all the training and doing all the you know well he's untrained actually sure but yeah. you know but he started as a stand-up comedian when he was 19 or 20 mm. that was his sort of because he's a nine-eye boy mm. and so he yeah that was kind of where he started he went to uh high school with peter hamilton they are huh. long time friends yeah yeah yeah. i mean they i just talked to peter recently oh. i haven't actually put that episode up yet but yeah. it was one of the because I've, I've um been having a break what with the lockdown yeah. rules and stuff and i'm really just getting back into recording conversations and the yeah. last one i did was Peter, and then of course the show that he was going to be in got axed. Got axed yeah. So I'll still run the chat because yeah. I wanted to meet him and talk to him, and we yeah. talked about lots of other things. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. So no, and, and he's another, you know, another Wellington creative that I had never met but felt like I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. uh, and because Sophie had been around here, and oh, cool. Um, I'd said to her, I really should talk to your dad one day, and she's yeah. like, absolutely. Yeah. And then it was like I knew what a deep Bob Dylan. Oh yeah, too. Yeah. So yeah, I really Big felt like time. I yeah. yeah yeah at Christmas because I quite often see the Hamilton Davidson family at Christmas, not on Christmas Day but a- yeah, around, yeah. and um, Peter will have the Bob Dylan Christmas album on, <laughs> and he and I and my brother Jack are the only people who like it. No, I like it too. I know. I mean, yeah, at, yeah, the party, yeah, at the party, everybody else at the party is a little bit like, and we're just kind of like yeah. dancing and like throwing each no, other's sneaky No, I really love it. And there aren't even many Bob Dylan fans that like it. I know. I love it. I, I think, think it's, it's great. Yeah. I think it's really great. I do too. Yeah. Like I, I prefer it to a couple of the other, um, you know, inverted commas comeback albums he did around that time yeah how, yeah how he got cool again for a lot of people what ones around that time do you not love uh i don't love love and theft no love and, and theft has got one very yeah, good song on it's it not terrible yeah that it's not song terrible. is amazing and i i don't love the one that what's the one that came 
just after that and just before Christmas in the Heart, and I'm now having is it modern times? Modern times? times? Yeah, I don't oh, love, I modern, love times. modern times. I don't. I know, <laughs> and it's I do love Time Out of Mind. Time Out of Mind and is incredible. I actually yeah. really like. Um, together through life, which is the one that I've, snuck out around the same time as Christmas yeah. in the Heart. I've never that one just got to that one just got one. forgotten by lots of people, mm. and I really like that. I mean, it's a slight album; it's not yeah. got anything amazing about it. Yeah. And then there's obviously the new one is great, the one from last year. Yeah, ways that's great. But there was that one a few years before that, the last one of originals, which I don't really like. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do like all I do and, like all the um, Sinatra covers ones. They're cool. Yeah, yeah, I love they those. Are really yeah, cool, they're eh? really good. I mean, tri- yeah. Triplicate is a bit much, like yeah. having three albums at the end of. But I still yeah. like it when I listen to it. But also, I mean, I just love the as, folly of it. Like, as Bob Dylan fans, I think for the most part, we just accept that he'll just do whatever he wants. That's know? right. Yeah, yeah. None that's what of I mean. I just really love. I just love the. <laughs> That's right. I just love the folly of it. Like, yeah. It's it's almost like to me, the great smirk joke that he was having was, I've given you a Snatcher covers record. Some of you liked it. Some of you didn't. I've given you another one to show that I really mean it. Some of you have just ignored that. To to follow up, I'm going to give you three and one. You know, like it's, that's how I sort of processed it. Like it's like you're not going to beat me. I'm well, going to. Just... I don't know if you're a big astrology guy, but Bob Dylan is a Gemini, and the things that he does as a as a professional are the most Gemini things okay. I could possibly imagine I know, somebody doing. I know he's a Gemini purely because I know when his birthday is. Yeah. Um, that's gonna that's gonna give you all the hint you need to know that I'm not a big astrology guy. guy. When's um, your birthday? My, I'm um in the middle of July. Oh yeah. So I'm a cancer. cancer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't you know what's the buzz with astrology? I'm in, I'm interested yeah. to know because I I don't have a problem with it. It's just yeah, not yeah. a thing that I've really yeah. thought I should go near. <laughs> it's funny because I've it's thought just, about, to me it's just something that happens to other people. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I've thought about this a lot recently because um david farrier dm'd me uh, a few months ago and was like hey you tweeted at me calling me a sexist for being dismissive about astrology a few months ago i don't know if you remember doing that but i've thought about it a lot and i've really changed my mind do you want to <laughs> can we talk about this a little bit and mm. so i like helped him with one of his um uh contributed to one of his blog posts yeah and that was really fun because like it was, it was nice to see somebody kind of go. Oh, actually, I'm gonna take an interest in mm, this. I want to learn. I grew up with astrology, just as a really normal part of my life. Like, my two of my relatives are astrologers, um, and it just was a totally normal thing. And I really like it as a structural system. I don't think of it as a belief system because I don't need to believe in it. <laughs> Like, yeah. it doesn't require any leap of faith for me to be like, yeah, astrology works. Astrology is a thing. It's a structural system. It's a classification system. And it helps you to kind of, it's very mathematical. And it helps you to just kind of figure things out. And and it's a really good problem-solving technique. Really, really good. Especially uh, problem-solving communication. If you really can't get 
on the same page as somebody. It and allows you, have, you to see why. Like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So and it allows, is a Dewey Decimal System for feelings. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> feelings and for behaviours. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love well, Lucas Neal, who is the set designer on Live Through This, has also designed the set for my last my two ballets and also designed the set for here. He is a Capricorn mm. and every time I mention astrology in front of him, he gets this kind of glazed over look on his mm. face. Mm. And it tickles me so much. <laughs> it tickles me so goddamn much. Mm. I will just like when I see that happening, I'll really lean into it and being like, Yeah, well I mean, you know, Lucas is a Capricorn, so of course he would and he sort of tenses up. <laughs> I always but crack, it's just a big tease. I always crack up like you work in offices which I've done from time to time and mm. uh, people will read the stuff quiz and everyone yeah. will gather around for it and then there's always someone that's like oh should we check out the horoscopes and then <laughs> yeah. just the table just you yeah. know people you just see yeah. people moving away in, dro- in quick I, droves <laughs> I think also people really misunderstand what a horoscope is because newspaper and magazine horoscopes are not horoscopes yeah that's right they are greeting card version. they're greeting cards well, and you know like if you read the horoscopes and there's a a little phrase that stands out to you and it informs your week. That's a beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, it's fine. Right? That's a, but yeah. horoscopes in that form have nothing to do with astrology. You know, mm-hmm. a horoscope, what an astrologer would do is a chart reading of the sky at this present moment and the transitions um, between planets and stars in the next little while and go, well, what we've seen in the past when these transitions or these oppositions are are happening, is this kind of thing can be expected. Mm. Mm. So um, there's a really great astrologer called Jessica Lignado, whose podcast, Ghost of a Podcast, I listen to every week. Um, and her stuff in the last year and a half has been really, really interesting because she's talked a lot about the pandemic. She's talked a lot about politics and about ways that you can read those sorts of things in in the sky. Um, yeah, it's, I just find it incredibly um, interesting. I'm just going to blurt this out because it's on my mind. Are yeah. astrologers uh, anti-vaxxers? No. Pretty much not at all. There's I mean, nothing, obviously there's always yeah, someone yeah. in whatever group. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But there's but nothing in There's no line-up. Yeah, yeah. God, you can stay. Yeah. No, it's not that. I was I'm just double jab, baby. That's for life. Yeah. I know yeah. you are because yeah. you, ca- you you actually, when you came in, you asked if it was okay to remove your mask. Yeah. And I had to, you know, I just said yes rather than podcasts don't really work with masks. Yeah, but, and they don't. No. Yeah. No, no, but, you know, it was just on my I was just like, I'm going to ask the stupid oh, question yeah. because I've already added myself as someone who, who, you know, knows how to spell astrology and that's about it. That's about where my interest ends. But, I, but yeah. I'm curious about it. And mm. obviously, I, you know, you're into things that line up in that world yeah tarot cards and yeah you know things like that and as so mm-hmm. is astrology the great sort of gateway drug towards that do you think or? oh i don't know i think astrology the way most people encounter it in their lives is about the ego right it's about mm. the self in the moment who is looking for some kind of information um rather than looking at astrology is something that has a wide effect on a lot of things and it's not just about you whereas tarot cards you know I did a show at Pats a couple of years ago called Ransom and in it I played a 
character who was like a witch, a Wellington witch, sitting in a tiny room surrounded by plants mm. and I was shuffling tarot cards and quite often I do readings mm. in the show as well mm. except that the cards kept giving away the ending of the show <laughs> can believe that or not but mm. I every time I would lay out the cards I was like oh fuck <laughs> um but you know I, I was really mi- mindful of that because some people have very deep superstitions around mm practices that they see as being a cult mm. and so i would kind Witch, of off, yeah of i would yeah. kind of offer the cards to people and if somebody was like no 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 i just wouldn't do it mm. i don't think that they are tools of satan <laughs> but other people's belief systems might mm. um might make them feel unsafe mm. around them mm. um but yeah i love tarot cards they're great I'm very good at reading them as well. And again, it's just one of those what things. What does that, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a sort of Wikipedia stub kind of way, yeah. what does that entail? Like being good at reading them? What does it, um, and, and how to do that? So my process for reading cards for another person is I quite like to integrate astrology into it. So if I can get somebody's birth time, mm. um, I can find out some things in their chart and that helps me to ground myself with them and to focus on them. Um, if I'm doing a reading in person for somebody, I get them to touch the cards um, and it's all about creating an intention and then choosing the right spread to do is important. Um, which is how you lay out the cards and how mm. the cards might be relating to each other. And then it's about reading the cards for the meaning of the specific card, but also how it's interrelating with the other cards that are there. And listening, well, what I find anyway is that I just kind of listen to my mind and what it is picking up from the situation. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, there'd be some people listening to this now going, you absolutely. Straight away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. If not, if not <laughs> that, just this deep skepticism of, yeah, yeah. of like, yeah, that's mumbo jumbo. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so you're like quite happy to leave. You know, you're not on a quest to convince people otherwise, no, no. but you're open to, you know, give it a reading to someone that's a skeptic or whatever like, oh for sure yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure yeah but yeah yeah it's just a thing you do and you enjoy and yeah it, and it, you tend to meet up with the people that are into it yeah i mean i do uh do readings for money every now and again um and the reason i started doing that was because i was finding myself giving a lot of readings to friends and it's actually very exhausting yeah yeah it's like very very exhausting yeah. And, I mean, if I'm giving readings to friends, I don't pretend to be some kind of psychic mystic. If I'm doing a reading for one of my best friends, I'm going to be like, look, the elephant of the room is that I know you very well. Yeah. So what I'm going to say to you will probably sound pretty accurate because well, I know you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what I, the message is that I'm getting here. Yeah. And it's sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a game of chance as well. And it's a, it's a, Reading tarot is a really nice bit of therapy for people. Mm. They really, really like on both ends of it. It sounds like yeah, a it's a bit, bit exhausting for yeah, me. Yeah, but it's um, it's a nice way to connect with people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's really therapeutic. Like, and if you can throw down sort of twenty, thirty bucks to your mate for a, a half an hour of being told beautiful things about beautiful cards, but mm. also being told like 
hey, maybe <laughs> maybe think about changing this part of your life, um, then that's nice. What are, the, what are some of the reactions that have been, like, good or worrying around that? Yeah. You know, have you had experiences where you're like, a person has basically gone, I wish she had not told me that? I've had people cry, but it's always been a nice experience yeah. for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little bit emotionally overwhelming, but in the yeah. positive, basically. Well, because I never want anybody to leave feeling yeah. shitty, which yeah. I think, you know, with my show at the moment, it's got really heavy stuff in it, mm. but I don't want people to leave feeling shitty. <laughs> and so, uh, and I'm, I'm just a really, really optimistic person. So I'm always looking for the positive possibilities in something. And I'm not afraid of... Um, of change and I'm not afraid of things going poorly because I've experienced things going very poorly in my Mm, life mm. and my life isn't any worse for it you know there is always opportunity for growth and for connection and for love even in really difficult um, times and really difficult experiences Mm, mm. Um, yeah but I've definitely had people I, I did a reading for a mother and a daughter and I read for the mother first and I didn't meet I didn't know these people I didn't have any access to their mm. um to their charts or anything like that it was at the verb um garden party and I read for the mother first and I was like mm, are you getting a divorce at the moment and she was like yep just tying up a divorce and I was like cool and there was some stuff in there about the house and, but there was a lot of stuff in the reading about um, your children not being the primary part of your life anymore, but in a really, really positive way, and that you are going to like clear up all of these things that are going on and move ahead. And that was really great. Um, and then I did a reading for her daughter, and a card came up in the reading, and I was like, are you studying law? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, are you doing that because your mum is a lawyer? And her mum hadn't told me that she was a lawyer, and she was like, yeah, and I was like, okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> and like, sure, coincidence. Maybe yeah, I'm yeah. a maybe I'm a great cold reader, right? Mm. But I'm certainly not going into a tarot situation going, I'm gonna fleece these people out of yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, Because if I was doing that, I'd be charging more. <laughs> you know, barely pays for the bus ride. <laughs> I feel like I feel like like a lot of things. The great sort of the great or ungreat Hollywood representation of, say, a tarot reader yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, unpicks a lot of the work yeah. that it might actually do. Yeah. Well, there's a show that I want to write, and it's about my great-great... No, not my great-great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, whose name was Rosanna Christina, or if you look in the births records, she just spelt her name differently for every child that she had. <laughs> On one of the birth records and it's definitely my grandmother's sibling Mm. that was being recorded as being born she didn't even call herself Rosina she called herself Cosima and she was a um, Romani Romanical Mm. gypsy from um, South England Um, and I'm so interested in her because she was the nine-eye tea leaf reader in Mm. the 40s and 50s Mm. like She's a fascinating person. There's a story in the family that, like, she got investigated for baby farming because she didn't register all of her children's births, and she had some stillbirths, and she just buried them. Like, and I don't know if that's true, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm very interested in her, and I. it was after I sort of started to dig into that part of my lineage that I kind of went, 
Oh, okay, so stuff that I have been able to do that I feel a bit weird about, I'm just going to accept it. I'm just going to accept the stuff like tarot cards and things like that. Mm. It's not a it's not a big deal. My great-grandma who lived in a state house in Nainai was, you know, helping out the neighbours with a little bit of thera talk therapy for, mm -hmm. you know, cross my palm with silver <laughs> talk therapy. Like, it's not a big deal. Mm. It's mm. fine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I would, I'd also want to backtrack to, you know, our brief little uh, Bob Dylan nerd fest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, is that a lifelong thing for you? How, what introduces yeah. you to Bob Dylan? Knowing, My knowing, dad. Okay, I was going to say, otherwise it was knowing Peter Hamilton, obviously, yeah, too, yeah, but your yeah. dad was a Dylan guy, too. A big Dylan guy. Yeah. Big Dylan guy. And I've got some I've got some Dylan trauma. Like, there are a few songs that... Because my dad has bipolar disorder, right? Yeah. He's had some really epic manic episodes. And, you know, I've had to live through them as his child. And also some major depressive episodes as well. And he, in his mania, he has gotten quite fixated on specific tracks. Right. I won't tell you now what they are, but I'll tell you afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I find it really difficult to listen to some of those because they make me quite angry. Yeah, so long and as so one of them is not one more cup of coffee. No, I love that song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. this, but there's a tra trauma story about that, there's about a guy who... Um, um, Bet his mother to death with a hammer from lis from incessant listening to that song. Oh, that's awful! Yeah. Oh my god! So my joke wasn't really a yeah, joke. Yeah, it's not a <laughs> but, joke. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. But fi finding my own love of Bob Dylan for my own reasons and my own emotional connection to the music has been a great treat mm. of my life. Mm. Um, when I was 17, this is a great story from my life, but I haven't told anyone it for a little while. When I was 17, I managed to get into Bodega when it was on um, Willow Street mm. for the White Stripes concert. Oh, right, yeah. Like, yeah. I was underage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hundreds of people went to that. Even, yeah. Even though the room only fits yeah. about 80. Hundreds of people say they went. And I... You actually went. I was actually there. Mm. And I was... At, I actually hung out with the White Stripes in their van parked on... Um, Willow Street afterwards. I was 17. Wow. And fair enough, I now, 20 years later, kind of go, no wonder Jack White didn't want to talk to me. I was a child. Yeah. But he was sort of ignoring me. Fair. Yeah. Fair enough. But he quoted a line from a song on Desire, and I finished the lyric, and he was like, oh, do you like Bob Dylan? And we started talking about the album Desire. So me and Jack White had like an hour-long conversation about Bob Dylan when I was 17. <laughs> I know, it's good, eh? Yeah, that is good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because, I mean, I, 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 remember, I remember turning down the chance to go to that show. Yeah. Because I didn't really know them. I knew, yeah. I, I, I knew they had, I think, two albums out at the time. Yeah. And I think I'd heard a little bit of the second one. And I was just like, yeah, no, nah, they'll be back. And of course, they were back, but yeah. they were back at the town at hall the town for a hundred bucks or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Matt, which is amazing. And I don't, I don't mind that I didn't see them because I've only ever been a fair weather fan. But I, yeah, I know that 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 um, he covers one more cup of coffee on the yeah. first White Stripes album. I think it second, is the first yeah. one. Yeah, and it's a one of those early ones. It's a cover. fierce version. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one of the songs. One more cup of coffee is definitely one of the songs that if I pick up a guitar, which I don't do very often these days, my hands still know exactly what to do. Yeah, right. It, and I still know how to make it sound really good because mm. um, I've just played it so it's, many well, times. Well, there's a guitar right yeah. there. You know, you say that and... Uh, 
careful. You got to be careful when you tell these. No, you know. I was about to say you're a you, you're a, a both a natural and a professional storyteller. That's yeah. really what you are, and what I think what you're moving more towards. Definitely. In this yeah. sort of confluence of writing, performing. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to watch yourself where a guitar might be. I know. You start I know. To the, I'm, 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 I'm going to let you off the hook, but yeah. My my other, just wanted you um, to be aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> my other kind of go-to lately, well, and by lately I mean in the last mm. sort of five or six years, is um, the Tom Waits song, Downtown Train. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Oh, I love that song so much. But um, It was such a treat to discover that. Like, I was a Tom Waits fan, but I, you know, that was yeah. a thing. I was like, I knew the Rod Stewart. Yes, totally for, right. For quite a long time yeah. into being a Tom Waits fan. Like, yeah. Maybe a year or two into knowing some of his music. Yeah, yeah. And then hearing his version and just going like that, that's the one. <laughs> uh, when I was in the Bacchanals, we did this um, tour of Julius Caesar. And I say it was a tour of Julius Caesar. We yeah. performed it in like um, bowling clubs and community centres. Mm. This was at the time of the 2011 election. So we had this very like anti-national um, approach mm. that we were taking with it. And I was doing this sort of troubadour thing with the Bacchanals at the time where I was playing and singing before the shows as people were coming in. And I started singing Clap Hands. Mm. And Gareth Farr was in the audience and he was like, what the fuck? I didn't know you could <laughs> sing this. And came right up to me and was like, like looking at me and mm. just loving it. He was like, I love that song so much. My sister got it on tape. And I would have to like sneak into a room and steal the tape so that I could listen to mm. that album. <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. This is making me think. Like, so, you know how sometimes you go you go through an artist's catalogue and you know you, you when you want to really get involved with it, you think it's important to earn the badge by listening to all of them. But yeah. sometimes a really key compilation. Does, yeah. does a lot of the work for you. They did a lot of the work for me with the Tom Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that that should be a requirement yeah. that you only follow the compilations. I think with him, yeah. but um, beautiful melodies is mm. a Tom Waits compilation. Do you know of? Yeah, basically the second half of his career. Yeah. And I, as good as some of those albums, I mean, Sawfish Trombones and stuff, they're amazing albums. Yeah. But that compilation was just you know just when you so mentioned good. Clap Hands, the first thing I thought was. Oh, I first heard it on that beautiful melodies album, ah. and I, you know, would have first had that. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I still, I, well, I find about a month album. ago or so, I played that album, that that yeah. compilation for the first time in ages, and I just got so obsessed with it. I just got so into it. Yeah, I was gonna say that that compilation is so good mm. that actually I feel like you kind of need to listen to an album instead, so you don't get completely obsessed oh, with I totally every did. single yeah. one of those songs. I was just like, this has been perfectly yeah. cherry-picked from what's on offer. Like, yeah. it really does sum up. I think my first Tom White song was The Piano Has Been Drinking. Like, nice. I think my cousin put that on a mixtape for me. Because yeah. when I was a teenager, I was a big Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds person. Because yeah. Yeah. my stepmom um, was a big Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds person. And I was like, this is great. Give me mm. more of this. And in fact, um, there's a... Johnny and I, so just to talk about live through this a little mm. bit, because Johnny and I don't perform together, uh, I proposed to him a ritual pre-show that we should do to connect to each other in the space, mm. and he was against it 
at the beginning. What a surprise. <laughs> no, right? I was like, come on, grumpy grandpa. Yeah, let's yeah. just give it a go and see yeah. if you like it. And I said to him, I think what we should do before every show is we should get on stage together in our costumes and then tell each other a story about our friendship. And he was like, oh, no, no, it's going to be too yeah. sad. And I was like... Yeah. Babe, we have been friends for, Bob Dylan voice, 16 years. Um, <laughs> we have had funny times. Yeah. Like, we can tell each other funny stories. And we have told, like, I mean, we've only done it three times now, but just such funny stories. And um, one of the stories is he he loves the story of our friendship because he feels that he's got something up, he's got one up on me, is that he saw me before we ever met mm. and he saw me at the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds concert at the Town Hall May 2005 Good he show. was amazing show the one where um, Sam Scott and yes. David Kilgore yeah. and stuff were opening up yeah, amazing yeah. show amazing show yeah. Johnny was down first time I saw the Nick Cave actually only time I've seen right. them because yeah, yeah. I had tickets to a, cup, a concert and then you know bought yeah. it nine months in advance yeah. and then ended up doing a show myself that right. night kind of thing <laughs> so Johnny was like right up the front um on the you know on the ground mm. floor and I was in the seats and the gallery mm. but my seat was so close to the stage and at this kind of perfect angle where I could see you know when he sat down to play the piano I could still see his face and he mm. was smoking which mm. was great and um, Johnny sort of spotted me dancing because I was, you know, in the seats. You're mm. supposed to sit down. Mm. And I stood up and I was just dancing. And then a moment from my life that I will never forget that it turns out my soon-to-be lifelong friend was going to witness was um, he in the, in the last part of the song, Do You Love Me, Nick Cave started pointing at me and swaying back and forward and pointing at me. And I sort of did this big gesture of like, me? Are you pointing at me? <laughs> and he nodded really loudly and he sang the last of Do You Love Me to me, staring at me, pointing at me. And Johnny, who we didn't know each other mm. yet, saw that and was like, who the fuck is that girl? And then the end of that year, his girlfriend, uh, ex-partner now, Helene, mm who I was working with was like, I think you should meet my boyfriend. I think you are siblings who have been separated at birth. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so funny. Really that's, beautiful. I can see that. Well, I, and I was in that venue that night, yeah, obviously yeah. in my own space watching that. Yeah. And, um, I would have known Johnny then, but I definitely would not have known you. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I do. And so I don't quite recall that part, but I, I do remember that was an amazing show. It was amazing. It was um, so good. And I've yeah. seen that cave four times in total. And I have to say, it's probably been diminishing returns, you know, mm, and the, yeah. they've all been, they've all had their moments, of yeah. course. And I've, um, but that was the one. The four gospel singers. I mean, that just lit that gig on fire. Yeah. I love that double album as well. Yeah. 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 I it love was a good, it. It was so, a good one. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, I've seen, I, I, I have, Nick Cave's become a little bit like Bruce Springsteen for me. I have yeah. a real love-hate. Yeah. I'm so, I go all in. Yeah, I go, yeah. This guy's great. I'm yeah. really into him. And then I come out the end of it and go, I don't want to listen to him for a long time. Yeah. And I'm yeah. in a, I've, I'm in, we're in a divorce at the moment. We've just broken up recently. I was, Nick Cave actually, I was I, just saying to my yeah. boyfriend that, um, oh, maybe I might get really into Nick Cave again. And he was like, oh, okay, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> 
because I was also, you know, massively into the Smiths. Massively. Yeah. Still love the Smiths. Obviously, think Morrissey is a total dropkick. Yeah, yeah. Cannot give yeah. up the Smiths. Don't listen to them very often, but I love the Smiths. No, they're going to, and music. they're going to have that, you know, what you've just described, that band is going to sit in that place for a lot of people where yeah. they like, they hold on to the best of it in their heart, but yeah. can't bring themselves to listen to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bit of a fair weather smiths fan i like them a lot but i mm. i feel like i don't deserve to call myself a big fan because i arrived to them quite late but <laughs> but i yeah and i've always liked them more than i've liked morrissey's solo stuff yeah. which i could have always been like whatever yeah i went and i went to the morrissey concert when he came here Johnny and, was, and, I were and it was really good well. yeah, yeah it was really good yeah. um but yeah i've got no interest in him now like yeah. in what he's and he's been a for a long time oh the worst just yeah. such a yeah. fucking dickhead right yeah. like oh um and it does sort of make me wish that johnny ma had more of a personality yes so that you know so that he could kind of win the day a little bit yeah he's just you know i want to i like i mean he's an incredibly tasteful player yeah he's done some really cool things yeah but i just listen to his solo albums and go there's nothing there for me no. and i remember he i don't know if you went to this but for a short time, he joined this band called The Cribs, and mm. they played at Bodega with Johnny Ma. Oh, my and God. So it was like everyone that was there, I think. Was there for Johnny Ma. Yeah, was there for yeah. Johnny Ma. And it was kind of incredible to see him in that small, the second Bodega, yeah. the, you know, the one around the corner, did but still ever, a small bar. Did you ever used to go to and see the Salford Lads Club, the Smiths tribute band? No, I never saw them. Everyone fantastic. said it was great. It was I, great. I, that's yeah. what I mean. I don't think I was enough yeah. of a fan to go to that, yeah. but I wish I had. Because I knew, knew a couple of the people involved in it. Yeah. And everyone talked about how good that was, and those yeah. were like real happenings. Who do you know, Adrian yeah. Ryan? Or? Yeah, Adrian. Yeah, because yeah. I was really good friends. I'm still really good friends with Rob McCabe, who was the drummer. Oh, yeah. Mar, yeah. And um, yeah, Jamie, who was the drummer yeah he yeah. must have been the drummer no no he wasn't uh, jamie was like the second guitarist um no he was yeah he was he was the second guitarist mm. but yeah they were amazing and they, i mean yeah. they played parties they played gigs and it was so much fun mm, mm. they did an unhappy christmas at happy mm. <laughs> it was just like smith songs for christmas <laughs> yeah so so good yeah i mean it's it's interesting actually talking about this stuff um kind of segues and sits in and around the themes in Johnny's show, doesn't yeah, it? Definitely. Actually, like, I'm thinking about, you know, town hall gigs yeah. in Wellington, how I, from time to time, and I walk past it, seeing it all wrapped up, going, that's where the best shows in Wellington yeah. were. Like, you know, yeah. obviously I've seen some pretty special ones in other places, but, oh, but the, town the town hall had always had a special yeah. vibe. It's a great mm. place. And also for me, as a non-Wellingtonian, you know, as someone mm. who moved here a quarter of a century ago, it is where I saw the first two or three shows. Yeah. So I saw yeah. the, you know, big shows. Like, I saw Faith No More there before I moved here. Like, I came down from school for that. I saw... Um, the cult, who oh I loved, which was incredible, and then when I the first show when I moved here was the Violent Femmes with the, oh my god with the Mutton Birds opening, which was incredible. And so when they did that god, song, that'd be so good. When they did that song, Black Girls, um, Don McGlashan came out and played the Euphonium. You know, like it was incredible. It was I amazing. love Don McGlashan so much. I'm yeah. such a huge The Front Lawn fan. Oh yeah, I've got this tradition. So uh, between sort of. You're such a fan, you actually called them the front, front lawn. Front lawn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I um I've got this tradition when I come back from working overseas because between sort of 2015 and 2018 I was overseas for like a month or two months at a time working. I was in London for two months, then Mexico for a month the year after, South Korea for two months the year after that, and then uh, a small but still month-long theatre tour in Australia. And I always have to be listening to Tomorrow Night when mm, I fly into Such Wellington. a good song. It, it's such that, a good song. That, oh, that whole album is incredible. Oh, it's brilliant. Like, yeah. I yeah. have been divorcing myself from my record collection slowly. <gasps> I have been moving things out of the house that I feel Ooh. I don't know. Oh, it's a big collection. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. not getting rid of yeah. the whole thing. But yeah. I have been... Uh, Pulling out things that I don't really need because mm. I have them in other formats or I know them so well, yeah, etc. Yeah. And I've been just keeping the things that I really want to keep. And on my list to get one day and find is the front lawn on oh vinyl. Because I, I saw it a while ago for a not outrageous price mm. and I didn't buy it and I yeah. should have. Um, yeah. And, and I imagine at some point it will be reissued or whatever and widely available. But Look, yeah. there's a line in my show, and it is advice that I never myself take, which is that your money returns to you and your time doesn't. Mm. <laughs> I find it so difficult to part with my money. So difficult. I was, and yet there are so many things where I'm like, I do not regret spending that money because I have this thing yeah. or I had that experience. But in the moment, like if I saw, you know, for example, that album and it was 80 bucks. I'd be like, I can't, I yeah. can't do it, I can't do it. And then later I'd be like, it would be so that. nice if I had that. Yeah, yeah. That, it's interesting you mentioned that line because that's one of the lines that really stuck out at me. Aww. I just felt like uh, that described a, a, a big sort of probably part of my ethos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just understood that very well. So my friend Sadio who said that to me, he said that to me when we were in a, um, in the, in this house it's not really a house I kind of describe it as a compound mm. but traditional Korean housing structures built in in the middle of a reserve and we mm. were working there on a, a Shakespeare show um, in a, yeah, a little town in South Korea and he was saying after this he's yeah he lives in Mexico City he's like after this Renata another friend of ours and I are going to go to Vietnam and then we're going to go to Cambodia do you want to come? And I was like, yes, I don't, yes, I do want to come, but this is a huge, like, proposal mm. to me. I'm going to have to figure out the money. And he goes, your money will come back to you. Your time won't. Mm. Come to Vietnam with me, Juana, because he calls me mm. Juana, because mm. he's Mexican. <laughs> so like, come to Vietnam with me. Come to Cambodia with me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and when we got back to Seoul a, few, a couple of days later, we went to a cat cafe Mm. We took our laptops down to the cat cafe and we like booked our travel to Vietnam and Cambodia while these cats just climbed all over <laughs> us. It was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And I'm so glad that I went to mm. Vietnam and Cambodia with my beautiful friend Sergio, who, fuck, I don't know when I'll ever see him again because he yeah. lives in Mexico. I was just going to say, you were, you were talking about these trips for mm. primarily for work and obviously yeah. going to other stuff. And so, you know, everyone's got their own story of um, grieving and mourning this loss of yeah. freedom, this loss of connection with people. Mm. Um, what's that been like for you? Because there's a work aspect attached to it too, yeah. which again there is there is for lots of other people too. But. Yeah. You know, the work aspect of it doesn't really bother me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very happy with my working life here at the moment. I would love 
the chance to go and work in another country again and to make theatre with a with an international group. I love working in different languages. Like mm. the work that I did in Mexico and South Korea was like multilingual pieces. Um, but it's the people that I miss. I would love to go back to Mexico, see my friend Renata who had a car accident a few months ago and she's doing well but you know that's really hard see my friend Sergio he's always kind of promised me a beautiful road trip around Mexico the next time I'm back there mm. and my friend Pilar who's an actor and her two daughters who I met when they were teenagers and now they're young women mm. and they have acting careers of their own like one of her daughters is like big in the Mexican movie industry like <laughs> lots of like Amazing. Mexican rom-coms yeah. and there she is Sofia like it's real cool wow yeah so it's the, it's the people um more than anything that and also I just really do love traveling and mm. I do miss the ability to kind of go and explore and have those things um my partner Ben we've only been together for a year and a half or so and when the first lockdown happened last year, he had to cancel a long saved for and longed for trip to France. He'd been learning French to, mm. to do it and like and had to cancel the whole thing. And um, he's now a nursing student. And so like eventually in our lives, I really hope to be able to travel with him. Even if it is just like, okay, let's shell out like four grand each and just go for like two weeks to somewhere that you, Ben, have always want, wanted to go. Because I have mm. traveled so, so much. I've spent a lot of time in India and um, in uh, not heaps of time in, oh no, I suppose I have spent heaps of time in Asia. I did live in in South Korea for a couple of months mm. but, you know then there's parts of the world that I will still want to go to as well yeah. but also like fuck man I'm from the global north I have the privilege to be able to go to places like Mexico where it's a dollar for a packet of cigarettes and just you know be a chain smoker in Mexico <laughs> <laughs> I don't smoke anymore but fuck I smoked a lot of delicados when I was in <laughs> Mexico um but also the people that I've worked with like my friend Carol is from Brazil and Brazil is a developing nation mm. and she is a fairly wealthy brazilian person but she's like yeah it's disgusting people from the global north come to a country like brazil and they're like oh it's so cheap this is so great this is my playground but it's not a great place to live because it's the economic disparity is really awful and the politics is really awful. Mm, so, mm. you know, the the privilege to travel is not something that I take lightly at mm, all. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm wondering how much we say about your show. Sure, like, yeah. Like, in the, in the... I mean, you've written about it. Yeah. It, there, people can find lots of information about yeah. it anyway. But how much of it do you want, want to not spoil? Um, I mean, I don't like spoiling it because I... Even though people can be primed for it i yeah. think i quite like to let people experience it totally i was thinking time. this i was thinking yeah. this because i went to it obviously yeah knowing i was going to speak to you and it yeah. might have been that i spoke to you before i saw it but i'm glad that yeah it wasn't the case but as yeah. i was watching it it was on my mind going well we you know we can't really talk about this because yeah, yeah. because so much of it is in the delivery now i was yeah. primed for it yeah i did know what i was going for in both mm. cases your your show and johnny's but mm. i also only just knew a little bit so yeah, i felt yeah. like i was 
because I bumped into Heather, who you mentioned, on the way yeah. in, and she said, uh, well, a couple of blocks back from Circa, and she said, oh, are you going to the shows? And I said, yeah. And she goes, have you seen them before? And I said, no, I actually haven't. Are they good? And she goes, yeah, they're great. I've seen both of them. Yeah. And I was like, they must be great because you're going again. Um, yeah. Which was cool. Like that, that kind of nicely set me up for it. But yeah, yeah we, we can't really sort of spoil too much about your show. But it's, no. it is... You, but I, can, I mean, we can speak to it. Yeah, you yeah. are you are yourself in your show. Yeah. More so than, mm. than, what, anything else you've ever done? Yeah, I mean, I just am playing myself. I am telling yeah. a story of my, yes, myself I was gonna say, and it's my a, own it's experience. It's a story. It's a monologue yeah. show more than it's yeah. a one-person play. I mean, these are, might be synonymous terms for people, but yeah. to me it's basically a monologue show, although mm. it's on a dressed set that you interact with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, it is. It's a... It's a it's a it's about episodic memory, right? Mm. Like it's about these very specific moments in my life and then how I remember them and how I went through them and dealt with them. So it's, yeah, it's about death. The show is very much about death, but it's m- about so much more mm. than that, I hope, anyway. Mm. Mm. So the last thing I want to do is traumatize people because death is uh, obviously something that will happen to us all, but it's also something that we all experience socially and in uh, different kind of cultural ways. And when the really important people in my life who did pass away, when they were dead, I really longed for something cultural to put in place around what was happening. Like, I uh, last year during the lockdown, my friends David and Jamie, who both live overseas, and they're Jewish, and their mother died. And um, I went to the funeral on Zoom. Mm. Like the funeral was happening in a synagogue in Wellington. Her one of her sons was in, uh, I think he was in um, Michigan at the time. The other was in Paris. And then they sat shiver for seven days because that's what happens in the Jewish tradition. Mm. Um, and so I went to a Zoom shiver, and that was phenomenal to get to just drop in to this kind of never-ending Zoom call. And everyone was just telling stories and talking and catching up and because the space was being made to just be in mourning and for that mourning to just look like whatever it needs to look like. Mm. And with the two uh, deaths that I talk about in my show, they happened in relatively quick succession. So it was this extended period of not really knowing what to do about it all. Like, the first death occurred while I was writing my master's thesis. So I sort of got in touch with my supervisor and was like, this incredibly fucked thing has happened. What should I do? And she was like, not worry. (laughs) 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 And then when the second death occurred, I was working at the university and one of my colleagues, who I reference in the show as being my most communist workmate, he was like, don't ever come back in. We will continue paying you. And when you are ready to come and pick things up from your office, let me know because I'd like to see you. But do not come in. Um, Which was amazing, Mm. you know, to have that kind of support. But I think that the show, writing Change Your Own Life, I wrote it at the beginning of last year. Johnny and I wrote our shows at the exact same time. Right, okay. We never spoke to each other about what we were writing. Mm. I saw his show and before he saw mine and I was like wow I had no idea that we were both writing shows that that have T.S. Eliot so present in them Mm. and he goes in classic Johnny 
he goes, oh, fuck, really? Oh, your show's probably better than mine. And I was like, <laughs> you shit. You just open your show. Enjoy it. I think it's nice mm. that in our friendship we were both referencing T.S. Eliot mm. so heavily in what we were doing. Because really, it's only somebody who is primed to hear the T.S. Eliot that's present in his show that mm. would have noticed it. And the same with mine. Like, there's a couple of exact quotes in mm. mine. Mm. Um, but there's some energy. And it's not that, you know, Johnny and I both think that T.S. Eliot is like this cool guy. I think he was a real shitbag. He treated his first wife abysmally. Mm, mm. Um, but fuck, man, his poetry's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah, so I wrote it at the beginning of last year after having done Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. Mm. Um, and it was doing The Artist's Way that I was like, now, I think I have to maybe write about this. What yeah. did you get from that? Because that that's an, a, a fairly um, recently oft-referenced text. Yeah, I mean, that, it's not, that, that it's I don't a, know it's much about. An easily like thirty-year-old. Yeah, yeah. I just but, mean it's having a moment it, again. Is it what is I having mean. a moment. Yeah, yeah. I know it's not brand new, but so I'd known about the morning pages, which is like the chief component of doing it. But I was listening to the British actress Julie Hesmondolch mm. being interviewed, I think maybe it was on Adam Buxton's show, and she was on Coro for 12, 16 years, mm. Bob Dylan voice, <laughs> <laughs> and after she finished being on Coronation Street, she had this real moment of like, who the fuck am I as an artist? So she did The Artist's Way, and she'd done it before, and it was doing The Artist's Way that made her go oh, what I really love about being the performing arts is people. And I really love... And so it it made her want to go back into theatre in a different mm. way. And I was like, hmm, I like the sound of this. And I was on tour in Australia with um, Sam Brooks um, with a show of his called Say Something Nice, um, which is a live typing show. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> oh, a long did time. you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We so we were on tour doing that. It's a cool little show. That it's gorgeous. Eh? Yeah, I really yeah. liked it because I went yeah. to that with no expectation at all, which yeah. is a nice thing to do yeah. often and, and hard to do. Yeah, totally. um, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, awesome! I'm yeah. so pleased to hear that. Mm. So on our last day in Melbourne, I went into a second-hand bookstore that was just around the corner from the Airbnb we'd been staying in. And I was sort of having a little look. And this lovely middle-aged woman who was running the place came up and was like, is there anything I can help you with? And I was like, you don't happen to have a second-hand copy of The Artist's Way. And she goes, yep. And it was right by my left leg. It was on the bottom mm. shelf, but it was right next to my leg. She goes, there you go. And it was 15 bucks. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll buy this. Mm. And so I started doing it when we were in Sydney. And I only made it eight weeks through. I didn't make it the full 12. Week four is the one that I always warn people about. I'm like, look, you need to push through it. But week four is going to make you angry. Because week four is reading deprivation. You're not allowed to read anything. Right. Yeah, you can yeah. write. Yeah. You can read your own writing. But you're not allowed to read no anything. Outside influence. Which no, I yeah. consider also means you're not allowed to listen to podcasts, mm. which I do all the time. You're not allowed to watch TV. You know, I was like kind of wrestling with it when I got to that bit when I got to that page I couldn't do that I threw the book across yeah. the room I was so angry in that week of reading deprivation I started painting mm. I, I hadn't painted in years I paint every day now mm. like it's just the great thing about the artist's way is that 
it you cannot predict what you're going to get from it yeah it has this way of bubbling things up in you and changing your view of what it means to identify as an artist yeah i think yeah yeah it's really good people get a bit uh, well, put off it because it's it can feel a bit gaudy so there's that story you tell in your mm. show about tracy emin yes yeah and does that like does that come directly from the artist's way or is that just your like have you extrapolated that from that? No. Think? I knew that about Tracy Emin because I think Tracy Emin is amazing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And when I So was you in, already knew that, but I'm just saying yeah, like there's yeah. a nice connection there to is. about the about yeah. the doors opening yeah. you know, through shutting them. See, I hadn't connected those okay. two things, but you were absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, I just wondered if you were trying to... Now yeah. you can tell the next interviewer that's exactly what yeah. you were doing. Yeah, but so no, I was starting no, no. to give the work of Tracy Emin <laughs> with the, you know, the, the foundation. Isn't that Tracy. awesome, though, yeah, too, yeah. that that happens? That it's like, yeah. you, there you go, you've found yourself on the same page with these two things. Totally, yeah. Without knowing you were. Well, and it's also yeah. the, the reason why we're doing the shows together is because they are connected. Well, they're connected in a lot of ways, aren't yeah. they? Like, uh, there's your friendship. Yeah. Um, um, but also, yeah, I was thinking, like, when I watched it, your uh, show is about the deaths of real people. Mm, mm. And Johnny's show is really about the death of artifacts and the death of a place yeah. or, or places. Yeah. And that's quite interesting. That you, And you have, yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like he treats his subject with a more theatrical seriousness than mm. you do, which mm. is not how people would imagine it should yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, this is nice. I'm, I'm taking my time because I'm going. How much am I? How spoiling can I get? Here? Yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah. actually spoiling it. No, so I don't I'm just, it at all. I'm just describing yeah. tone yeah. Uh, as much as anything. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I thought that was, you know, I felt that very much. And I think that the as one show as live through this because mm. his show, the best show in town, is at your place every night, and my show, Change Your Own Life, they do stand alone but in bringing them together as live through this we yes. wanted to really interrogate what it was that tied us together who came up with that title uh johnny yeah I was going to be my right? guess yeah yeah right? yeah, yeah but yeah. i didn't, I didn't yeah. want to assume he was like it. i've come up with a title live yeah. through this and i was like i love it yeah i love it it's perfect yeah um, yeah um yeah and you know his his show ends on quite a pessimistic and mournful no oh man it's such a good final line that it's i wouldn't amazing, i won't eh? dare spoil it but it's i'm almost so itching to it so know. good you know what i mean i know i, wouldn't, I was like that is uh, an absolute mic drop of a finale <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean he's a brilliant writer sure i think the thing that people if people have seen johnny perform before maybe they've seen him do stand-up or maybe they saw the aliens or maybe they saw loose one of his amazing stand-up mm. um hours um, the best show at in town is at your place every night is a very different tone. Yeah. But it really reveals the craft of Johnny as a writer. He's very I was, poetic. I was into it because, um, yeah. so, you know, Johnny's been on the podcast a couple of times. And, yeah. you know, you said, oh, we could both come on and talk. And I said, no, because. Yeah. Because he's been on quite recently and because I thought it'd be co I've, I've always wanted to talk to you. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so that was the reason it would have worked to have both of you. But it's. Um, it's cooler this way for me. Mm. Um, 
and he was on quite recently talking about Bob Dylan, but he was on years ago talking more about all the stuff he'd done up to that point. Yeah. So, and you know, and I, I've known Johnny for probably 20 years. Yeah. Um, and I definitely saw a different side of of him as writer and performer than I was. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen and followed everything he's done at all, but mm. uh, yeah, I feel like I know him and his overall style and aesthetic fairly well yeah and i was nicely surprised that it, it, it's totally in keeping with that but yeah. it was it was different to what i fully imagined i'm really be. surprised you didn't see the best show uh, yeah i didn't yeah i just would, sort of assumed that you would yeah no it was another yeah. thing where yeah. i definitely was aware of it but mm. obviously couldn't get to it yeah. yeah so i was stoked it was back on oh it's yeah. such a beautiful piece it's yeah. so so beautiful yeah and the yeah it, it also because like his show in a way it starts in i don't know the early 80s you know like there's a there's a yeah there's a time progression in the story that he's telling that basically comes right up to 2016 which is when my story starts, starts yeah, yeah yeah so and yeah and it moves around the city and i then you know knowingly or unknowingly mention a few of the places yes. that he has yeah. previously mentioned and yeah kind of give it so it's like he is setting up the city and then I am giving the story of one person in the city. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, he goes really quite widescreen and broad around the yeah. city and then you bring it in and be very insular. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, I mean, a lot of the stuff on the set is either my stuff or stuff that belonged to my friend who was, yeah. who was dead. Yeah. Um, and there's even stuff in his show that is, I think, like, quite coincidentally clever foreshadowing oh totally yeah yeah that's why when i saw his show yeah. i was so like fuck man i you know i yeah. know that we're connected yeah, yeah i know that we have quite a strong bond mm. between us but these coincidences are just great i love mm. it you know mm. i love spooky shit like that i'm mm. like oh nice little wavelength thing mm. happening so we pitched our shows to circa separately and Circa came back to us and said, would you like, would you consider doing these as a double bill? And I was like, fuck yeah, this sounds great. Because doing solo theatre is really lonely. Yeah, it's yeah. really lonely. Yeah. Um, and I was getting quite glum about the idea of doing, because I think that my show is really beautiful mm. and I want to keep doing it Mm-mm. for as long as it sort of feels right. Because it's pretty easily tourable, you yes. know. And I think yeah. that the lessons in it around grief and around friendship and and bonds and things like that, I think that they are really important. I've got a slight bugbear with a wee review of it that referenced some of the more mystical stuff in it as being mm. New Age. Mm. Like, I literally talk about a Native American shaman and a Buddhist monk, <laughs> though, a Buddhist <laughs> nun. Those new are new, <laughs> those, that is old age I, Actually, it's in, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you... Like, you know, I'll, I'll always ask performers what they feel about mm. reviews and, and so forth. And then I'm, I was interested because you have put yourself on the other side of it and been a reviewer and are a reviewer. No, I'm really not. Of oh, books, oh, oh, books, yeah, so, not of theatre. No, 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 you're not, no I, <laughs> yeah, would think yeah, would, yeah. I would think that would be not allowed. But, <laughs> but you still have gone through the process of mm. being a reviewer and actually, you know, yeah. critically working through something. So you understand maybe on a level that some other performers haven't got to yeah. what sort of shape a person is in. and but then what I also wanted to ask you was yeah like how do you handle reviews of something so deeply personal is that different to other works you've done I 
look, if somebody wants to take issue with the story, I'm sort of like, okay, have a nice day, you know, mm, mm. because it's true and there's nothing that I can kind of do to persuade anybody. You know, if they haven't been persuaded by my, stel- my telling of it, that mm. it's a good story, mm. then that's fine. Um, I have... Oh, this is a difficult question to answer, Simon, because I'm thinking about times that I've been negatively reviewed and I'm not coming up with many, which mm. is mm. <laughs> a real, like, you know, a real humble brag. Um, <laughs> but uh, if, if somebody doesn't get the show... That's fine. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, oh, look, yeah. don't, don't think too hard on it. It's, it's yeah. actually a bit of a bullshit question, but it's also a necessary <laughs> question. I think it, so, yeah. It, it is a necessary question still, mm. but it's also, I'm not that invested in it, even yeah. though I asked it, don't worry. Because yeah. like, I just think, I think, the I think it I, has to be ticked off always. Yeah, the reason I bring up the, the thing about the New Age is that I, it just, for me, it felt a little dismissive. Yeah. I was, especially because, like, uh, well, what the shaman and the the nun that I know that are in my life, I have a great respect for these people, and describing their practices as being new age feels really, really dismissive. Also, because new age to me feels like a very sexist term. New age feels very targeted at women, you know, like with um, when people are dismissive of things like astrology, it always to me feels like it's it's a it's an easy thing to be dismissive of because mm. it's mostly associated with women. That's interesting because yeah. I, I, I was thinking... Um, and I'm not you, talking about you having no interest in it. I'm no, 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 like, no, 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 I know. Astrology's bullshit and people who no. do astrology are idiots. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, I just, it's my mind went straight to new age music, which I, yeah. I, I feel like is so hugely populated by men. Oh, for sure, yeah. Well, as practitioners. Well, where there's money to be made, yeah, that's where the male population will be. <laughs> and, and, and I used to be a little dismissive of New Age music, and mm. I actually think probably now I quite like it, if yeah. anything, because yeah. I, I just think it's like unsexy minimalist music. Yeah, you totally, know? Like it's, totally. <laughs> it's, it's just the branding slightly yeah. wrong, but the actual vibe of it is right in line with a lot of other stuff I listen to anyway. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, and also age age is a beautiful thing too where yeah. you get older and you go like I mean when you walked in I was playing the soundtrack to The Young and the Restless you know and it's like right I, I really it. liked it yeah it's like, beautiful nice. yeah yeah I bought yeah. it for 10 cents and it's my favourite <gasps> 10 cent record beautiful and um, you know uh, now I don't have to worry about my money coming back to me with that one. Yeah, this is just nonsense. <laughs> You'll find that on the ground. But I, but, you know, but it's that thing. I bought it too to memorialise um, real groovy closing in Wellington. Yeah, like yeah. I went in on the like on its last day or mm. second to last day, and was going through the bins looking for something. And I mm. bought a couple of things, and then I eventually got rid of most of the things that I spent my dollar on and got 10 records for mm. but that's the one and Beautiful. so when I listen to it it has you know in yeah. line with Johnny's show I'm thinking about so many other things that happened in my life around Real Groovy and visits there and other things that happen yeah that's exactly the vibe right yeah. it's about the kind of the manifesting a way to access those feelings or those experiences mm. and those memories I think Johnny's show gets described as being nostalgic a lot, and I think that that's fair. I yeah. think that's a really good yeah, word for it. Yeah, it's inaccurate. But, um, but it, yeah, nostalgic. it misses the boat slightly yeah, too, doesn't it? Or yeah. people's understanding of 
nostalgia. Mm. Well, I think his his nostalgia is a good word for his show because it encompasses more the original meaning of nostalgia, you know, which is this baked in sadness that a lot of people forget. Everyone now uses nostalgia with like a happy tone to it. Yeah, like, oh, I I felt really nostalgic. And it's like, actually, nostalgic for that. Nostalgia is very very Russian, very Germanic, very, you know, grim, very Mm. Eastern Bloc. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but we give it this kind of Californian day glow tint. I'm immediately thinking about that that bit in the first episode of The Young Ones where the Russian couple, oh yeah, the through the whole of their got their hands (laughs) over the yeah the rain of the howling winds. Yes, well, these rains never cease, (laughs) or the snows never cease. (laughs) I love that because I can remember like watching that at a young age Mm. and just not really getting that at all, but being mesmerised by. Yes, yeah. totally. And then, yeah. and then actually yeah. going, that is deeply funny. And here's why. Like, you know, when you watch yeah. something so many times and you grow up with it and then you, through the, through the, through the sort of the twin thing of watching it heaps mm. and being, becoming familiar with it, being able to recite it like you just did. Yeah. But also growing up a bit and doing other reading and other watching, it all kind of comes together in this nice osmosis. And you're like, oh, that's why that's there. That's why that's funny. Totally. Yeah. I mean, The Young Ones has got so much. Yes. I mean, the... The joke, the first joke that I remember, the first like classic setup joke that I remember loving, even though I didn't understand it, was knock knock, who's there? Euripides, Euripides, who? <laughs> Euripides trousers, Eumenides trousers. Yeah, yeah. That is a brilliant joke. Yes. And I did not understand it when I first heard it when I was four. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because my dad was like, yeah, 24, 25 yeah. when The Young Ones was on. So he was taping it. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. bought a v- VCR, was taping yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, 84, 85, right? And so I watched home video copies of yeah, Blackadder well, we, and we young, had this thing, The Young Ones. I mean, I'm a few years older than you, but I was still a little kid when The Young Ones was screening for the first time in New Zealand. Yeah. And we would film it because my brother, who was older, wanted to watch it. And my parents would were quite happy for me to watch it when I was about yeah. eight or nine. But then they sort of developed this thing of, we'll watch it first, and then you watch it. So they set the video on a Friday. So I'd just get up at 5 a.m. and I'd sit down and watch it while I was still asleep. <laughs> so I just I subverted that um, process really quickly. Perfect. And I was good because I would pretend I hadn't seen it. Yeah. I'd, I'd come home from cricket, let them watch it, and then they'd go, you know what, we're going to rewind it, you can watch the young ones if you want. i go, oh, okay, cool, I'll check it out. get to watch it again. And then i get to watch it again. And Simon, then i watch it all. That's such was, a good scam. Yeah, I don't think I'd have that um, poker face now. <laughs> I don't think I'd have that, or, or that, everything about that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I think that's probably as smart as I ever got, you know, like at that, at that age, that's when I was, so that's when yeah. I was peaking. Yeah. Um, and, but it was awesome because, you know, and I'm the same, like, and, mm. and to this day, you say things out of context, young ones things, mm. you know, and you can spot a young ones fan and, you know, when you totally. say, you know, Roger, it's yeah. only five minutes and yeah. <laughs> tell that to Roger Bannister. Like, <laughs> And you say these things, it's just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so deeply nerdy, but it's also the cool version of deeply nerdy still. Like, they're one yeah. of, it's one of those shows. Because if I'm in a room and a bunch of guys, and it's always guys, start pratting around with Monty Python stuff, oh. you know, I, I kind of want to shoot them. And I certainly want, And I certainly want to leave. And I actually feel that way about, like, Blackadder now, too, yeah, even yeah. though I loved it. Mm. But the young ones, I'm like, nah, let rip. 
anyone who's quoting the young ones is great you know like that's allowed (laughs) well especially because if you're quoting the young ones it's probably because it was embedded into your cultural context and actually quite a young age the new horrible one that's on a par with monty python is actually the office oh sure you know people people uh, riffing on the office is kind of hard to take. I find Either the, version of it, actually. Yeah, I find the UK version of The Office completely unwatchable. Yeah, but yeah. I find the US version very like oh, a bath for the brain. I really, really same, but it. I don't want to yeah. hear other people, you know, no. telling me lines from it. But no, just go home and watch it if I, you want to. I, yeah. I actually only made it through the US Office right through maybe last lockdown yeah and i loved it yeah, yeah it was a really enjoyable i thing. love robert california but i'm a big james spader person for always yeah, right james spader is, is yeah. like deeply embedded in my love yeah. map do you know yeah, the yeah, psychological yeah. concept of the love map no it's it's that there are certain people or t- archetypes of people that get embedded as like lovable on your yes. psyche very at a very young age and John Hurt and James Spader are kind of like yeah. these men that no, I love. So I, knew, I, got, I didn't know that term, I don't reckon, but yeah. I know that feeling deeply. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, you sort of see, oh, and somebody who is who reminds you of those people mm. will have an allure for you. The problem with this is sometimes you can feel a little bit like, uh, sometimes with people like that, you can feel a little bit like I was there first. Like, because yeah. for me, Bill Murray was always like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And obviously for lots of people he was. Yeah. You know, I certainly wasn't there first. Yeah. But then there was that, you know, there's been that second wave of Bill Murray and now yeah. it's like, and same with, you know, people like Jeff Goldblum where he's like a meme. Yeah. And he's, well, the Wes Andersonization yeah, of Bill it. Murray and yeah. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. That's it. Which yeah, I yeah. don't object to. No, no, all. exactly. Yeah. I'm, fi- I'm fine <laughs> yeah. with that as well. Yeah. But, um, but yes, The Young Ones was just so massive because, oh. um, and it was just that, like, I think for me, at my experience with it, and it sounds like yours would be similar, was... You know, not every kid in the class was allowed to sit, but just yeah. but a few of us were. So there yeah. was enough to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. It was a real neat little special club. Oh, totally. And there were even less people when I was kind of, I don't know, maybe like 11, 12, 13, when you sort of start really trying to make friends by impressing them mm. and finding the things that you both, that you have in common. It was like, when I was 10, my favourite music was Van Morrison. And, like, I kind of had to pretend that I liked Mariah Carey. Now I love Mariah Carey. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, oh, I want to listen to Van Morrison because I grew <laughs> up in this house of, like, yeah, records. Yeah. I mean, my stepdad bought Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, when I was 11. Mm. And so I was just like, this is great. I, an 11-year-old, get to listen to the biggest rock album in the world right <laughs> mm, now because mm. my cool stepdad, who loves Van Morrison, bought it. <laughs> but being able to find a few girls my own age in, you know, at Wellington East Girls College in 1997 who were into the young ones, I was like, yes, yeah, I yeah. found a person who is, you know, there is something meaningful to us both here. Um which is key. I think that the things that we that we love and that imprint on us mm. is what bonds us. I mean, the the reason why Johnny's ex partner Helene was like you and Johnny are separated from birth is because of how many ways our tastes overlapped and mm. our senses of humour mm. overlapped. And mm. she, so she could see that there's these two people who are going to really get along so so well. And we have we've been friends for sixteen years. We have had kind of sibling-like spats, but, I mean, 
after one of my loved ones passed away, I mean, Johnny was, and Johnny had a little kid at the time, one one of his daughters was still quite young. He was over at my place, you know, staying in the spare room and just, you know, not leaving me alone. When his second child was born, I was at their house looking after the older one, like staying there for a couple of days, Mm. being, you know, being the, the the auntie. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Um, and it's and I love working with them as well. I've worked with them on Shakespeare, and I've worked with them on um, uh, what's his name? Not Euripides, not Eumenides, <laughs> the funny one. You know, anyway, done Greek comedy with them and um, Aristotle. Aris, no, Aristophanes. Aristophanes. There we go. Yeah, we got yeah. there. Um, but yeah, getting to kind of just have this time with him to present work that I think is fantastic. Mm. I think my show is great. I love doing it. Yeah, no, I do. I, I do too, and it, and yeah. and I also, you know, you can see it, like you can feel straight away mm. that you like doing it. Yeah, that comes really across, do. and that you maintain that energy so well across the whole thing too, mm. like it doesn't dip. Um, do you want to mention um the other play that's on at Circa at the moment because you're involved yeah. with that too? Yeah, so I've been doing publicity for here, which is by Taylor Mac, and it is this crazy. A uh, madcap, manic, modern masterpiece. I, yeah, it, for theatre people, I describe it as a, um, a, like Sarah Kane and Arthur Miller wrote a play together because it's gross and it's subversive and it's incredibly moving family drama about sort of what happens when uh, an abuser becomes the abused and, and the other way around and what mm. happens in a family when someone returns home and home is not what they were expecting um, for incredible performances Perry Piercy and Casey Kelly as the parents and then uh, Felix Crossley Pritchard and Drew MacArthur as their sons or their children um, just absolutely phenomenal they are four incredible performers that, that work so beautifully yeah. together and a gorgeous set yeah, by amazing. Lucas Neal yeah that really it's it's a very visceral show and I th- I really think it's one not to be missed I I, I have to echo all of that I loved mm. it um did you uh, I don't know if I ended up writing this I wrote a review of it mm. and which you know you, you've seen because you said that earlier that you'd seen it but but um I can't remember if I said this in the review. I don't think I did because I felt like maybe it was a too obscure reference. But <laughs> but do you know that But What I was struck with was, do you remember um, Natural Born Killers? Yeah, you, I haven't seen you, it for a okay, while. Okay, so but. yeah, there's this amazing, and I haven't either, and I've been wondering whether I need to see it again yeah, or not because yeah. I just have my memories of it as it is. And I feel that way about a few things. Like I started watching Fight Club the other day. And I made it through the opening credits. Yeah, it's no And point. then I went, I don't know if I can do this. But yeah. I've had this urge to to watch <laughs> yeah. it again. And I think, like, actually, no, I don't don't know about that. We started um, watching The Exorcist last oh, night. Yeah. The first 20 minutes is so boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like, I'm going to bed. Some it. films are incredible to rewatch, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last night we watched The Wedding Singer with our son. Oh, great. And it was beautiful. Yeah. I always loved that film. It's yeah. a bit like that Bath for the Brain thing. That, yes, you know, totally. it is a bit like that. And I, But I wouldn't have seen that for 15 years or so but I, I, I loved it but anyway there's a scene in um, Natural Born Killers where they talk about the trauma in 
Juliette Lewis's character's life yeah. and they play it like this demented sitcom and they get the comedian Rodney Dangerfield as in it as her father yeah and he uses these amazing like he's just awful and abusive but they they use the canned laughter effect like it's yeah. a sitcom so as I was watching the play I was like fuck this is like that if someone took that and made a whole show of that and I felt so invested in that idea while I was mm. watching it almost to the point of distraction at times in the first half but I I was like mm. is this what you know has this been an influence on the playwright not because I wanted to be right yeah. or anything but you know no, I but, just I kind of went fuck is that was that the playwright's experience yeah. or have I just nicely lined something up that also I mean, does I w- work? I wouldn't you know? be surprised like, because Taylor Mac is a cabaret performer yes. and, you know, has written this really epic and how um, old, history like, of America. I think Taylor Mac is probably not yet 50. Yeah, so that so lines up too, uh, would, you know, in terms yeah. of the, that's what I was thinking, like yeah. in terms of the, you know, and they're a person who is really interested in America. Mm. Right? And, you know, like a lot of... And that whole kind of cult, pop cultural overload... Yeah, totally. ...is all through that play. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, anyway, anyway, that, that just to me it was just a yeah. big tick like, yeah. that, that, that that happened. I just it's quite, it was cool. It's quite fun going to work at Circa at the moment. And, you know, because I grew up there, but I didn't actually do a show at Circa until two years ago when I was in Burn, Sam Brooks's Burn Burn Hair. Um, Another amazing play. A great yeah, play. Yeah, I love that. Um, but I love going to work every day and seeing two billboards outside the theatre, and they're both for my shows. Yeah. It feels really incredible, because I've been involved in the process for getting here on stage for a couple of years, because I'm a queer person, and I've worked as a queer youth worker, and I have very, very strong opinions about how we uh, make room for and treat um, gender non-conforming and gender mm. diverse performers and so when my wonderful friend Kathy McRae was like I want to do this show can you help me cast it I was mm. like 100% because in my opinion and I'm fairly certain I said this to her I was like if you can't cast the actor to play Max you can't do this play like mm. that and that mm. is the that is the compromise of yeah. your privilege yeah. is you the, if you want to do this play you have to find a trans actor the playwright has declared it but also the times declare it yes humanity declares it compassion declares it you have to do this um and so felix crossley pritchard was the first actor cast in the production right. i was like you find that actor and then you find everybody else yeah yeah because you might when reading that play go i've got to find Paige." she's like martha in who's afraid of virginia wolf yes. right like it's a role for a woman of a certain age and of a certain caliber and yes. character of performer yeah. so you might be seduced into thinking well anyone can play her kids but to actually have a reparative process in casting where you actually are thinking about the what casting what damage casting processes can have on performers mm. um because we're so under unionized in yes. new zealand yeah, i yeah. mean so much work by performing artists is done for free whether it's auditioning for an ad you don't get any money for that whereas overseas people get paid to mm. audition mm. or you know turning up for a big cattle call for a musical or something right like people are just giving so much of themselves for absolutely nothing Mm. yeah um but yeah like if you uh, if if we are going to have more work 
by and for, I don't know that hair is actually for trans people, because uh, it's pretty heavy going. Yes, I wondered that. Yeah, uh, it's it's certainly not something where I'm like, come and see this trans play just because it's a trans play yes, and you, a trans yeah, person, should yeah. see everything trans. I'm actually like, maybe don't, because yeah. it's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was written by a trans person. Yes. And it has a trans character in it. And the more we actually see that happening, the more people who have been sort of relaxing into their casting decisions for years are going to have to go, well, shit, I need to have an imagination and I need to actually find gender diverse performers. I'm surrounding myself with cis people because I, for some reason, think that cis people are just normal people, Mm. right? But you're missing out on a wealth of talent and that talent is missing out on a wealth of nurturance because... Performing arts is so cis-normative. Yeah. So fucking cis-normative. It's so boring. I thought the thing with the play here, too, is that... I could be wrong here, and I, um, but my, my feeling was that it was a trauma story yeah. rather than a trans story. Yeah, 100%. And there was also a nice comment in there on how the plight, if you like, mm. of a trans person could be um, coerced and adapted into the plight of someone else. So it was yeah. an- another form of, like, you know, mm. this parading around, you know, like, look at my trans friend or something. Yeah, it was totally. this parading around aspect. And so that, as you say, that could be mm. very confronting for, yeah. absolutely, for, for many people to see, but certainly yeah. for a trans person, it's like, if they're, yeah. they're already living with that, why have that magnified? Absolutely. But mm. I thought it was really important, powerful, amazing play. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm incredible. so glad. Yeah. yeah. I think it's an incredible piece. I mean, I, I was first in, I first encountered it when a silo theatre and Pantograph Punch asked me to write the program mm. not essay mm. for it, which is a really cool thing that Pantograph and silo mm. do. Mm. Um, and so I went up to Auckland and went to one of the rehearsals and I read the play several times and I sort of reckoned with it in my own way um and yeah wrote about it and I recently returned to that essay to see if I still agreed with myself and I did on mm. the, for the most part there were things that I would change about it now but I was like oh actually no no I still feel okay about what I've written yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said I know yeah. what that's like mm. I know what it's like mm. to do that and you know yeah sometimes you yeah sometimes you're like that's you know, whatever I've lived and learned as a person mm. since that, and, and maybe only a few months or whatever, yeah. it doesn't need updating Well, I think because... it's fascinating as well, because I wrote that essay three years ago. Mm. Three years is not a very long time. No. But now, if I was approached to ask that, to write that essay, I would find would a trans do, person yeah, yeah, to do that's it. that's right. But at the time, yeah. I was considered the most kind of foot in both camps <laughs> Theatre maker yeah, yeah. in the and country, the, and that you're 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 known to be sympathetic, well, etc. And, cetera and as it's well. not just that I'm a queer person because yeah. there's plenty of queer people in, yeah. in theatre. It's that I was working with queer youth, like I was yeah. in yeah. the world of like of community work, mm. and I take trans rights really seriously, and I take trans healthcare and mental health care really seriously because I have so many trans rangatahi in my life who I'm like, you know, they would come to the hui that I used to run um, uh, with Inside Out. The mm. hui still runs, but I don't run them anymore. Mm, mm. Um, 
and you know they were for three days they would get to be the gender that they felt that they were and then they'd have to go back to Ekatahuna and mm. pretend mm. to be someone else um and when you've had that experience as an older cis queer person when you've had that experience of actually seeing what is happening yeah. for young people in New Zealand um you can't look away from that and I think that taking queerness as taking cis gayness as queerness is really really unimaginative and I think that while it is very important to have representation I think that cis white gay male representation as the face of queerness in media is really fucking overdone it's really overdone um and like there's absolutely still a place for it obviously but like it's a bit unimaginative at Mm. this point but then i think about something like tales of the city you know and that was those books were written fuck almost 50 years ago now and they had such a much more broad spectrum of LGBTQIA representation <laughs> in them mm. than you really remember. Because yeah, you sort yeah. of remember that there was like, you know, the, the Michael Tolliver being like the main gay guy in it. But then there's this trans character in it who mm. has this incredible backstory and the exploration. Have you read the Tales no, of the No, no, I reckon. Oh, um, mate. I don't reckon I have. Oh, but I know, that's I, so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the cover and stuff. Like yeah. I'm thinking of, you know, the, the spines. If there's a, a hook I can get you into them with, it's that when Armistead Maupin wrote them, mm. he was writing them for the San Francisco Chronicle and he took the serial... Uh, format of Charles Dickens as his um, inspiration. So they are racy. Mm. Like, shit happens all the time in them. I think in the third book, it's all about Jonestown. Like, it's really contemporary to the time. Active, sexy, funny, like, great reading, because it's what people would read in the paper. Earlier this year I was working out at Bookhaven one day a week. Oh, I yeah. feel like I've shelved them like yeah, recently. Yeah, you will have, so yeah. I know, and I mean, I've worked in other bookstores, so I yeah. know them without having, yeah. Yeah. Those first three, yeah. they are the key ones. Okay. The second three are Take It or Leave It, and then the more recent ones, Michael Tolliver Lives and Marianne in Autumn, are actually really good. Mm-mm. They're really good. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you for you creatively? Because well, I'd like to take some time off. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that. I was like, you basically, in a way, you've got two shows or yeah. two shows you're involved in mm. happening, and we're nearing the end of another yeah. strange year. So, yeah. like, I, I imagine not much is up for you. Well, I had plan. another ballet on this year. We got one performance, and then we went into lockdown. That was called Sapphic Lake. Mm. I didn't direct it, but I produced it and one of the was one of the co-creators with my friend Anya Upstill. So we would like to bring that back next year. Um, we have got a, a filmed version of it, beautifully filmed by Ed Davis, who's a... I know, Ed. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is so stunning, and that will be available on digital release very soon. Awesome. So I implore people to watch that, because it's beautiful. Mm. It's a 40-minute lesbian ballet i mean it's gorgeous um and beautifully beautifully filmed so we'd like to bring that back for a live season the set is currently in my um friend and colleague georgia Callett's lounge <laughs> um 
I am going to be at uh, Welcome to Nowhere Festival in February. Um, uh, Johnny Crawford, who's one of the iGum guys, mm. he has asked me to direct a really fun, like, sort of pantomime parody of a music festival at the music festival. Cool. So that's going to be yeah. really, really fun. Um, but aside from those things, I'm trying not to line too much up. Yeah. In terms of performing arts, I'm trying not to line too much up because it, I mean, this year has been so devastating. We were talking earlier about Crocodile Fever mm. and that being closed, I mean, I wasn't involved in that show and my heart is still broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Stella Reid is a really close friend of mine, as is Hannah Kelly, who is a phenomenal actor and I was so excited for audiences in Wellington to get to see her do Crocodile mm -hmm. Fever. Mm. And then, of course, Karen McCracken and Peter Hambleton. Um, but, yeah, my heart is still broken for them, for yeah. that. And when we lost Sapphic Lake after one performance, I was a little bit more caged off about it. I was like, okay, this is what ha what's happening. But other people in the company were really devastated. And it's just not very good for our health. I think, like, mm. there's a lot of writing and research that I want to do. I would really like to talk to people who, you know, like we were talking about before, how I grew up in the industry. Mm. It means that there are people who I've known for a really long time, most of my life, who are uh, elders or kind of mentors of mine in the industry. And I really want to talk to them about what it's like to mm. try and keep, doing this thing mm. um you know one one friend of mine who i've known since yeah she was in skits with my dad actually in the 90s so that's how long i kind of asked her you know why did you go why did you move away from theater for a couple of years and she said well my doctor told me it was killing me mm, mm. yeah well, when, I, <laughs> when i bumped into um heather outside yeah. the show on saturday she said oh she's met katie briefly once before and she said oh how, how are you how are you guys and I, I don't know her super well, but she's done the podcast yeah. and we say hello to each other and I like her work and I like her. But I, And she said, how are you guys doing? And I said, look, we're fine and, you know, we're like anyone else. And then I was like, how are you doing? Because my immediate thought was like, geez, you work in this yeah. already volatile yeah. temperamental industry totally. filled with highs and lows. Yeah. And then, you know, you're already surfing the wave mm -hmm. and then there's these constant reports of the tsunami coming basically oh absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah and i think also as a community across across the country mm. i don't know that we are all that really what am i trying to say there is so much sadness for our compatriots in auckland that I think if we were to hold that sadness too closely, it would become overwhelming for mm, us. Like, mm. we kind of just have yes. to take a running leap at things. We didn't know if we'd be able to open Live Through This no, until, yeah. like, a week before yeah. we opened it. Like, we just were... Same with here. Yeah. The official party line with here was, we'll rehearse it until it becomes clear we can't open. Yeah, and that um, has to have a different... Um, you know, that's a psyche adjustment. That, oh, has totally. to, that, that puts yeah. a different spin on. Yeah. And, you know, I remember thinking when I watched here, these incredible performances, and, I, and because I go and review theatre, mm. and I'm no expert, I just go and review it as someone who enjoys it, but because I go there with that in mind that I'm reviewing mm. it, my immediate thought was, Jesus Christ, these people are putting on this amazing mm. performance. And I bet 
they didn't fully know they were going to be able to do it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So I, I was in some way mindful yeah. of that. That's awesome. I love that because I, I, you know, I, I mean, you, you get this about me anyway because, uh, you know, the show that I'm doing at the moment is an autobiographical yeah. monologue. But, like, I am, I like to be attuned to the multiple realities that can be true at one moment, you yeah, know. So, yeah. like, when you are watching here, there's this assault of the script yes. and the performances are transcendental. Yeah. And then there's these people who are embodying those characters yes. and there is their situation and what's yep. going on and their experience of the last two months, you know, they started rehearsing on Zoom. You can't rehearse that show on Zoom. No. You know, you can yeah. do line runs of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and also if you are preparing for that, for those performances, I mean, especially the volume of material that Perry needs to remember, mm. right? Because she barely leaves the stage. Once Drew's on stage, he doesn't leave yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He gets home and then, he's yeah, there. he's there. Yeah, um, yeah, those two have the lion's, well, more than the lion's share of the lines. Yeah, <laughs> they, they really. They and at one point I remember thinking in the first half, I felt, I mean, it wouldn't have been this long, but I felt like it was about a 20-minute monologue at one point. Like It is a long it's, monologue. It, it's, it is many pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. nowhere near that, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah. I, I, when, and when I thought that, I was like, oh, I sound like a person describing a drum solo. They always say drum, so <laughs> they always say drum solos at 20 minutes, and I look at my watch, and they're like two and a half. Yeah. But, yeah, you yeah. know, like, yeah. yeah, I'm aware of the hyperbole as yeah. I'm saying it, but it was massive. Like, I was yeah. like, Jesus, how, how does anyone do that? That yeah. is pages and pages. And then there's also, you know, there's a lot of social problems in the live arts community as well. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're woefully under-unionised, as I've said before, because in Wellington we just sort of stopped really thinking that being a part of Actors' Equity was necessary mm. for us. And so membership has dropped off in Wellington and probably in Christchurch and almost certainly in Dunedin, you know, massively. And so we don't really have a, a, a gov we don't have any governance mm. and which means that there is, there are health issues, there are social issues, there are relationship issues, there are power issues in the live arts community that never get dealt with because we're all these independent contractors mm. all sort of buzzing around mm. each other and you're much more likely to get into beef than get into like an actual problem solving mm. thing. When I started producing theatre, I found myself messaging other producers that I'd worked with in the past and saying, hey, look, if I was ever a whiny little bitch to you, I'm desperately sorry. That was really uncalled for of me. Mm. And I had a couple of people go, what are you talking about? You've never behaved mm. badly. And I was like, I just really, I don't care if I have or haven't, I am sorry yeah. that anybody has behaved poorly towards you because I am now starting to realise how much you've done for me and that I didn't realise that before. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Pro you know, and producers are the last people to get paid as well. So mm. Eleanor Strathern, who's producing here mm. and has recently had to cancel a whole bunch of uh, tours and stuff that were that were lined up. I mean, that's a massive amount of money that yeah. is being lost. The amount of work has stayed the same. Sometimes the amount of work increases because well, if you then yes. have to cancel things, yes. you know, yeah. And so this is a really nice upbeat way to finish. Oh yeah, totally. 
Um, but be the change you want to be, you want to see, etc. Um, but yeah, I I think to to maybe be a little bit more upbeat. Mm. My friend Nisha Madden, who is um, the program director, I may have gotten her title wrong, at Basement Theatre in Auckland, she came to see uh, me perform Change Your Own Life at the basement in April, and she said this show is an activation, and I really want people to see it because of what the power it has to ignite something in Mm, them. mm. And if my show can help people with something that is going on in the background of their lives that they don't feel comfortable sharing or being open with people about, then that's all I really want from it. The immediate gratification I get from the show is that people seem to be genuinely amused and moved by it and Mm. I appreciate that because I do think there are some quite good jokes in my show about death (laughs) but yeah I I being in the theatre is it's such an ephemeral thing anyway that I'm starting to look for ways that I can feel more of a more of a permanence and more of a um emotionally healthy legacy yeah so there you go that's good and 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 i now can say we do know each other yeah uh, on a level where i think i maybe thought we already did yeah we've we've bonded over theater and bob dylan Dylan, sporadically nick cave and and the young ones young ones incredibly important yeah yeah yeah. so (laughs) uh, i'm glad this happened yeah me too so i've had such a lovely time oh cheers 16